Thank you. I'm, I'm not sure if that was a compliment or not. Did he just say I was really old? Or? It's a compliburn. A compliburn, right. That's a new word. You learn a lot from different cultures. I learned the word compliburn. Still trying to get my head around it. And there's a lot of translation that has to go on between American and Canadian. And I'm just a little bit in shock. I, I've, I've been around the vineyard a lot of years. I've heard a lot of people talk about a three-minute break. I've never seen it done. Like three minutes on the nose, and it's like, we're back. I've seen vineyard pastors. I've seen every kind of incentive. You know, please come back. We'll give you money. We'll, we'll send you to hell. We'll, you know, free bourbon for everyone who comes back at the end of three minutes. I've never, ever seen I, What do you do? Are these people all on drugs? or what? How do you do this? Amazing. I'm going to send all, we're going to rotate all Canadians down here for three weeks and get them suitably trained. You know, the Sunday gig is always the tough one after... Um, a conference because uh, you've got two different audiences and you're trying to sort of not leave one out. So there's some people who've spent a number of hours together for good or for ill and <clears throat> they've come in with a certain set of expectations and I, I want to I, I speak to them and add something to what we've done in the weekend and not have them at the end say, uh, well, gee, if I would have known you were going to say this uh, and summarize everything up, I could have missed the weekend and just come today. And, and then there's others who are wandering in going, did I miss something? Or, uh, which weekend was this? And, and yet I want to try to bring you into the conversation as well. And that's what we're going to attempt to do. What we've really been trying to do over the last two days, I think, actually is, is take... What you, what you say on your website is your DNA and see if some further way we can actually bring it into our lives. I mean, it looks good on the website, but it looks even better in lives. The website actually, you know, isn't going to change this community, but your lives might. And well, they are. And it's only the beginning. Uh, we've been trying, I think, to answer the question in a more complete way, what actually did we sign up for when we said yes to Jesus? I'm not sure we're all, we always know. I mean, you know, it's not a, a completely rational, a cognitive decision. Sometimes it's just that hook that, you know, God goes fishing and the hook gets stuck in our hearts and we start walking towards something and it's in that journey we begin to understand what actually we've said yes to. But my contention is, is that generally in Western Christianity that we've expected far too little. We talk about good news, but, but there's a reason why we don't share it much. I mean, you know, people always, every church will tell you, you've got to put, spend twice as much time and energy in evangelism as everything else. Uh, and, and I go, well, why is that? Why is it that we say we've walked into this wonderful good news and yet hardly any of us want to even talk about it or live it out in any kind of visible way? Now, if I, we took the time right now and I said, well, why is that? We, we'd have a whole bunch of answers. 
oh, well, I'm a private person or that it's really not my personality or I, I don't really know how to do it. And, and, and the reality is, is none of that stuff are the real reason. There's one reason why Christians don't live out verbally and in their actions the good news, and that's simply this. It's not very good to them. Because you know what? The shyest person, when they, you know, if, if they're a couple, they have a new baby, or you fall in love, or you get a great new job, you work it into every stinking conversation. I mean, it's like, ah, it's a wonderful day. You want to see my baby? You know? It's like, oh, where did that come from? It's good news. And when, good, when news is good enough, we share it everywhere. And so we've talked about what, what, is the, what is this good news? And, and how do we actually experience that? I mean, the good news was, was, was simply that Jesus came, sent from the Father to break through this membrane of evil that have separated this thing we call heaven, that dimension in which God dwells, and which is the deepest longing of our heart, and, and then this broken existence on earth. And, and with Jesus, tastes of heaven begin to stream in and touch the real needs of our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our, our fractured relationships. Into that space, these tastes came that... Once people got a taste of it, they had a taste for it and a taste to share it everywhere. And so we've just been trying to create a little bit of space so that we might get a greater hunger for it and something might begin to explode inside of us. So what I want to try to do this morning is see if we can recapture some of the essence of what we talked about and, and, and summarize in some tangible way what is this invitation of Jesus? And, and how do we more fully understand it? More than that, how do, we, how do we reach into it? Probably the best way to do that is to take a little snippet from the lives of the first disciples because, you know, uh, that's probably closest to the intention of what it was that Jesus was, was trying to start. And probably the best place to pick up the lives of these disciples is right at the end of Jesus' time with them. That's recorded in the first chapter of Acts. We're going to read just a few verses out of that and, and see if we can get a sense of what was going on with them and how they understood what took place. When they saw Jesus, well, in the cheesy old Bible movies, it would be, or in flannel graph back when I was a kid, Jesus, the teacher pulling Jesus up the flannel graph board as he's sort of floating up into the sky saying goodbye, you know. Uh, so it's Acts chapter 1, and, uh, you know, I won't necessarily read it, but you can refer to that as I'm just giving you a little bit of the backstory of it. This is right at the end of uh, about 40 days. Um, when, when Jesus has been spending time with them after he has gone to the cross and now he's been resurrected. Now, this is like a roller coaster time for the disciples. I mean, think about it, first of all. Uh, what did they think they signed up for? 
they actually were fully convinced that Jesus was God's promised one, his anointed one, and the deliverer of Israel that was going to overturn the Roman oppression. And coincidentally, they were going to be like the finance minister and the foreign minister, and, and they're going to get these killer positions and probably drive limos. And so they're all pumped and excited about this. Then Jesus goes to the cross and dies, and like they, they go into massive clinical depression. I mean, they pretty much figure they bet on the wrong horse, right? It would be interesting to see their Facebook page and, you know, status update. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I mean, and so they go fishing, basically. Uh, until Jesus kind of drops in unannounced by walking through the wall and, and uh, says, what's for dinner? Uh, can you imagine? I mean, think about this. Like, this is before any kind of special effects or anything. Like, this is like, this, this, their minds are blown. And at first of all, they're, you know, they're hitting themselves in the side of their head and kind of thinking, what did I have for dinner? And, and like, uh, they, it's hard to actually believe that this is real. They kind of get and poke him a little bit. And he's like, he seems like he's, I mean, he's all there. And he's eating fish and drinking beer or whatever. And, I keep, I got to remember, this is a dry county. I got to, you know, <laughs> change my whole uh, illustrations. But, and, 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 you know, they're texting to their friends, guys, this Messiah thing, it's back on big time. I mean, I mean, this, this guy can do anything. And, and, and so he begins to explain and fill in the, the blanks of, of what it is they signed up for that, that, that actually they expected far too little. They were looking for a political deliverer. He actually wanted with them to change the whole world. Take this upside down existence and turn it right side up. And, and from the inside out. And so he's like blowing their minds. They still are struggling to get it. Because they understand it's really part of their theological context. That, that two things were going to mark the turning of the age. One was going to be the resurrection from the dead. Voila, here he is. Number two, the outpouring of the Spirit. When he begins talking about that, they go, like, is this it? Now, now, I mean, you've risen from the dead. We're in. So I think you're going to wrap it up and trash everybody else. And I'm sure Jesus about every 30 seconds went, oh, God help me. You know, are these guys ever going to get it? But he's, he's really patient. He's, look, like, it's going to be a little different than you think. We're entering in to a space, a time of a profound invitation that's going to go out to the whole world, and you're going to carry it. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and you're going to have a better grasp of, of what it means to have actually the spirit of me living inside you and how powerful that's going to be and how that's going to make it possible for you to face all the powers of death and hell and see them submit and surrender to the advancing rule and kingdom of God. So, like, wait for it. It's going to send you to the very ends of the earth. So get used to pork, boys, you know, because you're going to have all sorts of new experiences. Now, then we go on. Now, as he's saying this, now, there's a variety of different accounts, and this is all sort of brought together, and it seems like he says something quickly and floats into the sky. But then what happens is he 
disappears from their sights. Now, we're sort of fixed on the heavens up there somewhere, uh, you know, with cream cheese and clouds, and, and we're down here in the earth. But you have to understand the, the way the Jews understood heaven and earth was the earth was uh, the realm in which we live, touch, taste, and mixed in all in and around this was another realm that was often hidden from our sight, and it was the realm in which God dwelt and his presence filled, and what he got wanted done got done, but they saw it as imminent. I mean, they realized at any point our eyes could be opened in some way, and that would press in, and we'd see it, uh, and then other times it was closed off to them. But they always believed the promise of God that at some point he was going to bring these two realities together. And absolutely earth and heaven would be married. Isn't that what Revelation is all about? And so what, what the language here is, is that he, they realize that he has now left their realm uh, as easily as walking through the wall, this new glorified body that he has, and now he's in the realm of his father, and they can't see him. And it's not like they think he's, not like a two-year-old, mom leaves the room and they go, I'm abandoned, I'm alone, they don't exist, you know. It's like they knew he was there, but, but, but now he's with the father. And while they're kind of trying to process this, like, what, is, what does this mean now? What do we do? They notice there's a couple of other dudes in all white. They must be like Apple representatives or something. But <clears throat> it's kind of a prophetic foreshadowing of the Mac, you know. And, and they're going, uh, they got their cameras, they're rolling, and, and, and they're saying, uh, okay, guys, like, you ready? Are you, are you going to start? And, and they're looking at them. Like, what do you mean? They say, like, don't you get it? The same Jesus who's gone can come, can go, can come. Do you get it? The membrane of evil and brokenness and separation that has kept earth apart from heaven has been torn. And the power and the presence of Jesus, the kingdom of God, can come, it can, earth can touch heaven, heaven can touch earth. That means all bets are off. There's nothing that can't change. There's nothing that can't change. So, like, is there any reason why you're here? Like, go. Like, get on with it. Share it. Let people know, hey, you're not alone. You know, I, I know you're messed up. You're screwed up just like me. But you know what? Everything can change. Because that separated membrane of evil is shattered and the marriage of heaven and earth has begun how can you believe that and just sort of tuck it away it's got to be shared doesn't it to anyone you love i mean if you've loved someone and they're caught in addiction and brokenness and you know there's a i mean you're gonna go well it's i, I i'm not a, i'm a private person i don't really want to be true you know it's like so he's going like you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna start, and so like I, I usually think it's Pete. He was, he was a little more the first guy out of the boat sort of guy, and I can imagine all sorts of things are like clicking together. This whole thing of discipleship, going to all the world. I've called you to just be like me, and he's going. He looks around to the other guys. He says, "Guys, 
I think we're Jesus. Like, I don't mean that in in a capital J way, but I think we're Jesus. I think all of this was that so we would go out and be Jesus in the world. And do what he did. And he suddenly realized that what Jesus was constantly doing was reaching for heaven and with the authority that God had given him, bringing tastes of that reality into the earth so that when people would taste it, they got a taste for it. That people wouldn't just have this sort of abstract message, oh, heaven is really, you'd really like it. Instead, it was sort of like, uh, want to taste this? People would taste it, and that taste would penetrate to the deepest longings of their heart. And they would go, this is what I wanted all my life. That God's plan wasn't some kind of coercive plan like, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood evangelism. Make my day, you know, it's, we have ways of making you come to Christ and enjoy it. No, it's this unbelievable incarnational invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, that's the rest of the book of Acts. I mean, it's only a couple of chapters later, and you got Peter want, doing what he does every day. Like he's like you, we we we've put all these people. Like we imagine Jesus sort of floating around, two feet off the ground, never getting dirty, never going to the bathroom. It's just like it's like, and we treat the disciples that way, as that they were not at all like us. But what we see in Acts three is Pete's doing what Pete always does. I mean, they got this regular uh, pattern. If they go to the temple at certain hours, they pray. He's taking the same route, but something's different. He's praying this prayer that Jesus gave him to pray, which is, let it come. You know, Father, you're not like this distant, you're, you're dad, you're, you're Abba, you're, you, you've broken in, you've come, you've embraced me. Oh, let the end of the world come now. Like, let what happens down here be, be absolutely pervaded by what you want done, that your kingdom would happen on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Lord, you know, as I'm in this, give me bread of tomorrow today. As I'm like in the exodus, in the desert, between one reality and another one, oh, would you give me tastes of the future, breaking into the present. He's praying what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer that reminds him what his life is for and what Jesus started. And, and he's praying this, and he's walking towards the temple to pray. And, and, and there's a guy who's basically saying, Morning, Pete, got any change? And, and, and just like now, I haven't seen a lot of panhandlers in Campbellsville, but I guess you must have them. I mean, um, they, have their, they have their spots, don't they? I mean, you actually get to know those people if you take the same route all the time. And so here's a guy, interestingly enough, that Pete's probably walked by before. Jesus has probably walked by before. And he's crippled. And, 
And so it's familiar. It's not like it's, this is what he's used to. And I imagine Pete kind of goes, oh, shoot, I already, I spent it all on a coffee. And, and then he looks at the guy because he's been praying. Oh, God, let me be a taste of heaven, touching earth. And, it's, and he looks at the guy and it's like, uh-oh. He gazes intently at him, we read in Acts chapter 3. He's thinking, oh, shoot, I wish I had some money. That would be far easier. Because he's starting to realize, what does it mean that everything can change? That heaven can touch anything, anywhere. These thoughts are coming into his mind, and he's going, oh, man, I wish Jesus was here. And then he's realizing Jesus is here. And you can imagine him going, I I don't have money. I think I've got this. Take my hand. Now, it's not super smart um, to kind of lift a crippled person up uh, and say, in the name of Jesus, rise and fall. (laughs) Exercise is good. You know, just move those limbs around a little bit. And by the way, here's my credit card. (laughs) You know, just, you know, run anything by. He lifts this guy. He, He does what he saw Jesus do. He reaches out his hand, and the man's legs are strengthened. Heaven touches earth. This man tastes it. And the next thing, of course, I mean, I don't know, maybe the guy's an introvert. But he goes ballistic. He's dancing around, and there's nobody more surprised than Peter. I mean, everybody wants to go, like, who is this guy? He's going, guys, like, I'm still in probation. I'm the guy who just <laughs> denied Jesus a few, you know. Like, give me a break. I, I, this was Jesus. It wasn't me. But maybe it was me. Like, it's, I'm, he gets confused because Jesus is so much in him. He realizes I'm doing what he did. Folks, in this last period of time, uh, that's where Jesus gave that thing he called the great, we call the great commission, the Matthew 28 passage where he said to these guys, now look, go out into the world and be me. And by the way, you probably don't know how incredibly merciful, we sang about that this morning, the grace of God, how much he wants to make everything new. How much he wants to take this message everywhere through generations. So there's going to be a pretty big open door of invitation where God delays the final day when everybody gets what they want. And he's going to keep that door open, delay the judgment of evil. So we're going to have brokenness around. That tangible taste of invitation might come in through the lives of people. So pass it on. Do to others what you did to me. Which, which tells us, what's Christianity supposed to look like? A conspiracy of little Jesuses walking around doing what he did, saying, hey, this is the message, come on in. Drinks are on, oh, there, I did it again. <clears throat> or on the house. It's all free. Come on in. Up until the day when God finally decides, I think the table's full. Let me summarize it this way. What is the Christian life? Costco. You've been to Louisville, uh, Lexington? You know the route? 
Uh, we go to Costco regularly because we have this big place that we buy lots of food for. and We, we have a division of labor in our family. Uh, we go to Costco. My wife shops and buys a list. And I do the route. You know the route? It starts off, but one aisle in, that's usually where they have the nutrition bars. Ah, they're okay, but... Um, and then you work back, there's the, the yogurt, there's the different tasting stations. And eventually you get to the pinnacle, and that's the sausage station. <laughs> now, it's very interesting because it's not some kind of like picture of cardboard sausage that says, this is sausage to die for. You know, I mean, that, I, I'm, I'm a smart man. I don't, I'm not fooled by that. But instead, they have some little old lady with a hairnet just stands there and she says, would you like a bite? I said, well, how, how, what, could, how, what harm could that do? So you take this little bite of sausage, you bite into it. And all of a sudden, that taste of sausage touches something deep inside. <laughs> it's a primal urge for sausage. And these thoughts start exploding in your mind. I must have sausage. <laughs> I would die for sausage. Down here, you'd say, I would kill for sausage. <laughs> this is sausage, my precious. You know, it's, it's like this taste of it touches something and gives you a taste for it, doesn't it? all from a little lady with a hairnet. Like evangelism is easy. Just give them sausage. Do you understand? This is what we signed up for. It's a taste of that we'd get a taste for. That's what Jesus came to bring, nothing less, to us and through us. And when the church catches hold of that, it's going to be the best news imaginable. And it's something every one of us can do. Has there been good news in your life? And I tell you what, open up your hearts because Jesus has so much more. And let that generosity flow through your life. And, you know, it's all so simple because wherever we are in life, wherever we are in the journey, there's always someone who's where we just were. And if we just see them and say, how are you? How are you? And mean it. And just step into that space and say, man, like, I'm not going to put something on you, but let me tell you my story. Take a bite of this. How's it taste? And watch what Jesus does. That's kind of what we were talking about this weekend. But what a shame it would be if what we were left with was a memory of what we talked about in a weekend. But I tell you, if we can take this in the smallest way into our lives and start to see the people around us and begin to let that generosity flow. I tell you what, you come alive, they come alive, this whole community will be turned upside down. 
as it is being. You know, what you've begun to do, take hold of it and see what God can do. Is that an encouragement? All right. Let's stand.